everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. I came to faith in Jesus when I was a small child. Uh, I was about three and a half years old, almost four, and it was a very real encounter. I remember, you know, coming before the Lord, and, and, and it was actually on a doorstep in our apartment at the time, and the, it was raining, and I just loved to sing and talk to the Lord in the rain, and, you know, as much as I could, I surrendered, you know, all that I had as an almost four-year-old, right? You know, God, I give you my rocking horse, I give you my slinky, I'll even give you my baby brother, whatever you need, Jesus, I give it to you, right? And even though it might seem like a young age, I was just very thankful because I had, and because of my mom and my dad, a very keen understanding of who God was, or at least for that age, as much as I could. You know, I was very blessed, and I counted a great blessing that I was born to John D. and to Becky and and. and born to two parents that just loved Jesus and taught us about Jesus. I remember early on my dad even emphasizing the importance of having a relationship with Jesus for myself. He would say, as only he does, if you've ever talked to my dad, you know that he is, he is Papa John, and that's just who he is. It doesn't matter who, how old you are, how young you are, where you're from, like you're going to have a close conversation if you meet him. And he would, in the way that he would, with an intensity and passion, say, now, John, John, listen, daddy's not always going to be with you, and you got to learn how to know Jesus for yourself. <laughs> I knew as a young child there was something. I, I couldn't just coast on my parents' faith. I had to know them for myself. I remember early on even learning how to pray, and, and my alarm clock when we were little was hearing my dad interceding downstairs in the living room in the morning. And again, if you've ever heard my dad pray, he's, it's like there's a, there's a thin line between prayer and just word battle. You know, it's just like there are pitches. I mean, you thought, I thought he was like fighting a man downstairs, like the way and the intensity. But he was fiercely praying and interceding and, and coming against every territorial spirit from here to Timbuktu because he was warring and he was walking as a priest of the home, but I learned the intensity and the fervency and the importance of communicating with God, but also utilizing the weapon that we have in prayer. I remember learning how to worship and and going, and and we went to church, and we went to church a lot. If there were services, we would find services. We'd go to churches we didn't even belong to, but we just want to go worship sometimes, or sometimes my dad was guest, a guest music minister at a coffee house, and I actually, I just love getting in the presence of God. I love worshiping Jesus and, and watching God move in the lives of people. And as I am several years from those first memories and now have six children of my own, what I've come to learn over time is that they weren't just my mom and dad, their, their desire wasn't just to just build an extra spiritual family. It wasn't just to have this cookie-cutter Christian family, but they were actually intentionally building a legacy that would not only impact myself and 
my six other siblings, that that would actually serve our children and our children's children. And what we have to be reminded of and what I believe that Paul is wanting to communicate to this or or was communicating to the Philippian church is that regardless of where you've come from, we have all been through Christ and by the Spirit invited and welcomed to be a part of a legacy. See, when we think about Father's Day, a lot of times, you know, that could have mixed results. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never met your dad. Or maybe you have very tough relations. And sometimes a lot of, we, we can compare where we are or what we can expect in the future based upon our family or generational privilege or lack thereof. But God has come with love and provision that no matter where you find yourself this morning, because of our Father God, because of the spirit of adoption by which all of us cry Abba, all of us, all of us have been given and welcomed to be a part of a great legacy of light. Not just to get out of hell. So often we can think about Christianity, and I don't know how many of you here exactly, maybe I know many of you have given your life to Jesus. Some of you may have said a prayer once at a Christian camp or at a Christian conference, a choir of the fire many years ago, and you had a moment. I know, thank you, there's a couple of choir of the fire people. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you had the what would Jesus do bracelet, and you had all that stuff, but for whatever reason, it was just a moment, and then the rest of life hit. And sometimes we can be disillusioned if we don't really understand what it is that we are part of. And Paul is helping them understand, you are a part, it's what, what this Christian life is and what you've been grafted into and what, what we are a part of, it's bigger than a moment. We're building something here. We're building something that is worth it and will be extended far beyond your life on this earth. We used to say a term in church, say, if the Lord tarries. You know, there's this this sense that, you know, we're living in the last days. He could come in a blink of an eye, you know, and so, but but after some point, you know, sometimes you can get saved and then just try to coast and just try to survive until Jesus comes back, and that's not really what we're called to do. (laughs) I, I remember being... 21 years old at this church in Nashville, we used to always, like, you know, we were, you know, we were looking at all the signs. We're super zealous. We're like, oh, did you see what happened in, you know, Eastern Europe? Jesus is surely coming in 2005. And, uh, but we'd get all frustrated anytime, like, a baby in the church got prophesied for a long life. We're like, dad, come. So I was like, you got to keep, keep an eye out for those uh, baby prophecies. You're like, when babies start, stop getting prophecies past 10 years old, you're like, oh, he's coming, he's coming. No. Um, <laughs> I digress. But my point is this, is that Paul once is instructing not just them at that time, but us today, that if we're truly not just going to be a part of, but build and see this legacy continue until Christ returns, there's a way in which it ought to be done. There's a way in which God is going to cultivate it, and there's a way that you cannot just get saved when you're younger, but actually stay passionate for him, 
stay useful and zealous and not just be focused about your own situation, but have such a passion and a fire that you're able to be like Paul and pour yourself out like an offering so that others can know him. And so this morning, I want to look at these three things that I believe that Paul is communicating and how we can grow from them so that we too can walk in this legacy. All three of these things are preceded by this framework of a word continually. See, the faith is not like Christianity or the way following Jesus is not like Ron Popil's rotisserie. I don't know if any of you saw the made-for-TV infomercials late at like 2 a.m. when you accidentally like fell asleep on the couch and woke up and it was like, whoa, Ron Popil. He's like the evangelist of late night stuff that you can buy and never use. Uh, but he had this rotisserie and one of his things was one of his favorite phrases was, you just said it and forget it. And then all of a sudden, you have a delicious, juicy chicken, right? And faith doesn't work that way. You don't just set it and forget it. Unfortunately, that's what usually happens. People just kind of set it. You, have, you said a prayer. You had an encounter. You cried. Oh, I, get, I give you whatever. I give you my crappy boyfriend. I give you my weed. I give you my... Jodeci CDs, you know. Uh, I did say Jodeci. I did say Jodeci, you know what I'm saying? But then you get further distance and you just forget it and you forget about cultivating, you forget about what brought you to that point, and then you wonder why you've grown cold and separated. And so my desire is, even as I look in this audience right now, and I know that there's a lot of you, we've got a lot of people who are in the 20 zone, early 30 zone. God has not invited you to have a good 10-year run with him. He got way more plans for you. God's desire is not for you to have a real hot 15 years of passion for Jesus just to end up being another 50-year-old who's not sure what they're supposed to do in this life and bitter. And so... I want you, just as Paul was encouraging them to lean in, I really want to encourage you. So don't just let this be a Sunday where you just listen and you don't take any notes and you forget about this apart from maybe a nice little feeling today. But write these things down. Go back. Ask the Lord what is it that he wants to say specifically to you. So the first thing I, want, I believe Paul's saying I want to communicate is that if we're going to live this thing out, if we're really going to build and be a part of a legacy of faith, we have to continually allow the work of Christ to be at work in us. I love the Passion Translation. I love the way that it communicates things, and I think in a very conversational and just tapping into the heart and the passion of God. But I also love the ESV, and, and, but, but if you read it, depending on how you read it, sometimes you can, specifically with this verse, you can maybe miss the spirit that Paul is speaking to. In the ESV, Philippians 2, 12 reads this way, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I remember when I first heard this passage or read this passage as a kid, I would often get kind of confused with the tone and assume that Paul's instructions to work out my salvation was an, endor an endorsement for works-based theology. You know, we, we would know, you know, I can never earn my salvation, but you best believe you're going to have to work to keep it. 
You know, it's kind of like if somebody blessed you with a really, really nice pair of white sneakers and you just have the terrifying responsibility of keeping them there that way, right? As a grown-up, I get nervous about wearing white things. I'm like, huh, especially with kids. I'm like, there's going to be salsa on this tomorrow. And, you know, the reality is if you continue to read, even if you read the next verse, what you see is that Paul is not encouraging in any way for, for he's not saying in any way that it's based upon our works. He's not saying that we are the ones. In fact, he recognizes that this work that is to be done in us cannot be done by our own means. He actually communicates who it is that is at work in us. It is God who is at work in us. It is he that is doing the work. Now, where it's specific is that the point is, is this work, it's not that it's a rule and a set of rules and guidelines that we have to uh, walk through or a set of hoops that we have to work through, but the, the word work and the way that it works in this translation and what is being communicated is that the work, you've got to allow and surrender to the work of the gospel that God wants to do on the inside of you. It's not just about meeting him in a one moment encounter. Salvation, in, when we come into faith in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, when we receive the gift of salvation, we become justified. Justification means we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And the blood of Jesus satisfied that debt. But that's not all. Is that by the Spirit of God, God's desire was not just that you would be reconnected to him, but now that you would be re-enlisted to your calling and destiny, which was to reflect and radiate the image of God in the earth. The purpose of God for making us was not just so that we would exist, but that we would be with him and that we would be filled with his Spirit and that everywhere we walked, we represented his glorious light. He doesn't want to just get you out of hell. That's not even like, he's all right, he, 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 that, was, that wasn't even the heart. That, that's nothing for him. He wants to restore you. He wants to renew you. He doesn't want to just say, hey, I got you out of slavery. Now just sit on the sidelines and don't mess anything up. Try to stay clean. Don't, don't, don't screw this up. You already messed it up once. No, 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 no. That's not our God. He wants to work in you. You see, he made you because he loves you. And he designed you with a very specific purpose. There's things that you're going to accomplish on this earth to bring him glory that no one else will. And because of that, the reason it says work out your salvation is because there are things unique to you that God needs to do. It's like when you walk into a gym, you know, there's, I don't know about you guys, like sometimes, you know, you have resolution time, you're like, you know what, I got to get, you know, my beach body or whatever that looks like. You know, my beach body is just glorious. I'm just like, I have the body of a God, you know. It might be Buddha, but God bless it, you know what I'm saying, whatever. <laughs> hey, don't judge, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm playing. But my point is, you walk into a gym and you, especially if you have no knowledge of the equipment, you can just go in and just think, you know, if I just do something, that could be good, Right? Well, you could be doing something and doing it the wrong way and cause a lot of damage. Or all of a sudden, like, 
you're like, you know what, I really want to slim up, you know, man, I want to kind of slim up my thighs, you know what I'm saying? I want to try to bring some things down, but all the exercises you're doing are actually like thickening that sucker up. Like, I don't understand, I'm working out, but you're just not doing the right things because what you're doing was not tailored for you. And the beautiful thing about having a heavenly father is that he knows you better than you know yourself. That he designed you, he wired you, he's perfecting you, and he has a plan in which he wants to work his work. He wants to do a work in you that you will become all that he's called you to be. Now, what comes after this is it says to do so with fear and trembling. And, and again, when I first read this translation, uh, and it's not even, it's the problem isn't the translation. The thing is that there's things, a lot of times, like, we, we there are certain meals that you just got to savor a little bit. You know, and, and we're not supposed to, we don't want to just continually just glance over the word and not dig into it. I want to encourage you, like some of the, the word of God is like a good summertime barbecue rib. You just got to work it a little bit longer sometimes. Get in there, see what he's saying. And it's not about being terrified. It's not saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling because if you jack it up, you're going to hell. That's not the spirit. That's not what he's talking about. It's the second point that I want to encourage us in this morning is that we're not only to continuously allow the work of Christ to work in and through us, but we are to continually live inspired, empowered, and in awe of our matchless king. This work that God's going to do, he does the work. He's working it in us. And it goes and it says that not only is he doing this work, but even our desire to partner in it comes from him to will and to work in us. If we are not going to lose sight of this legacy, if we're not going to give up, it is essential that we never lose a sense of wonder and awe of beholding our matchless king. We can't be afraid to be in awe of him. See, we, we at times can be overly familiar with Jesus or overly familiar with the concept of our Heavenly Father. We don't want to make him just like, you know, one of the most dangerous things at times is when parents, parents, you know, always want to have a great relationship with their kids, but like, my goal as a dad is not to be my son's homie. Like, there's certain things that I've got to do as a dad that their little buddies don't have to do and shouldn't do. And there's a role that I'm going to have in his life, in their lives, that is different. In the same way, like, we have to wrap our brains around the fact that he is our heavenly father. He's amazing. He's a good, good father. He's a papa. He's a daddy. But you know what else? He, like, <coughs> coughs and galaxies open up. He is a majestic king. We've got to magnify him. It's so important that we not only worship together and we should come and and not just show up at 10.15, but show up at 9.50 so we can get our coffee and come in ready so that we can magnify him, so that we can make great who he is. When we come and we worship in his presence and we magnify us, it reminds us, oh my gosh, he's great. And when you understand how great and how majestic and how wonderful he is, you also are able to have the right perspective of how small and how how insignificant and how finite our struggles are. But what happens is the flip side, when we don't magnify him, 
We, all the other things. You don't even have to magnify your problems. They do that themselves. You don't have to magnify your brokenness or your faults. The world does that. The enemy whispers that. It's why the scripture even encourages us to encourage each other as long as today is today. Because you don't need any help being discouraged. I can be discouraged without anybody doing anything, right? There's plenty of discouragement going around. But we have to be active in encouraging one another. We have to be active in magnifying and recognizing who he is. Because we can quickly forget. In the ESV, Paul makes mention in verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And the point, he's not just mentioning this randomly. He's not just mentioning this off the cuff. This isn't just some rough generalization of a world and a society that's going to hell in a handbasket. He's actually referencing the Old Testament. He's referencing the people of God and rather even referencing a specific and one of the most well-known songs in Jewish history. You see, most times when we think about songs in the Old Testament, we usually think about the Psalms. We think about King David his greatest hits. We love the Psalms, you know, but I think somewhere in heaven, Joshua is like, you know what? Hey, David, I'm happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Moses had one of the greatest epic songs of all time. And here we see, thank you, thank you, three people. We see that in Deuteronomy 32, 5, Jesus, God had come to Moses and he said, hey, listen, Moses, you're going to declare this song. And this wasn't a happy tune. It was actually a reminder that these people that God had delivered out of Egypt, they, had, they weren't the unsaved. They weren't the secular world. These were church folk he was talking to. They had been delivered out of slavery, but yet were still living in bondage. What a tough spot to be in knowing that you got out but you're still in. And they had been a people who even in the midst of God doing amazing things they kept losing sight of what he was really up to. And they just kept complaining. Constantly complaining. Complaining to Moses. Complaining about God. They were hungry. They were starving. God sent a manna. Then like a little bit later, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just so sick of eating. What's up with this bread? You know, you get bread from heaven. You know, these were like better than Golden Corral rolls. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like that cinnamon butter. If it's bread from heaven, this stuff was good. And so God is like, you know what? I'm going to send you some meat. He sends them birds. He sends them, you know, the, the, the birds come and they have meat, fresh meat. Meat's on the menu. And yet every time they would constantly forget. And, and when I look at this and I'm reminded of this exhortation to stay in fear and trembling, you see, when the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were coming out of bondage, God led them out of captivity as his presence led them and directed them in a 
<clears throat> cloud by day and fire by night, a pillar of fire by night. But it was only Moses who would go and meet with God in the tent of meeting. And here, these people, I want to get ahead of myself, but there was a, these people that God was calling, and they were known as the sons and the daughters of God. They had lost sight, and they would constantly give in to complaining and to grumbling because they were just, they, were, they weren't, they were just experiencing God from a distance. According to the Torah, according to a lot of the rules and the laws, it, was, it wasn't about who they were supposed to be. It was just about, you know, what they were supposed to do. Follow these rules. Follow the cloud. Follow somebody else that knows about God. But yet they were content with just chasing and not thinking about what he wanted them to be. And so Paul is exhorting us and he's saying, hey, we've got to stay in the presence of God. We've got to stay and walk in awe of God. Why? Because the goal of this thing is not just so that we get saved in a moment. The goal of this thing is not just that, you know, now all of a sudden you have a better social group to hang out with and you sing songs that are kind and remind you of hope. The point is that we are called to continue. We are, have been enlisted. We have been welcomed. We have been grafted in to a legacy that's bigger than now. And we are to continually offer the word of life for his glory. When he talks about holding fast to the word of life, this word holding fast, that's why I love reading the passage translation. This, it's a Greek word that it's not just about holding on to. It's actually about holding out and offering. It's God, he's working in you because he's called you not just to be another person that is chasing an experience or chasing the light. He's actually called you to be light. He's called you not just to do something, but to be. All over the city, not just the world, a lot of times you think about the world, but right here in Indianapolis, this city is desperate for a people who will not just show them how to get to a place where they could find light, but people who will embrace their God-called de destiny and be light. That is our calling. That is our purpose. A bug can follow, follow a light. A bug can be drawn to the light. God hasn't just called us to be people who go from one religious experience to another looking for the new hot experiential thing and then burning out. He's called us to be filled and to be transformed and to be renewed in such a way that, and, and again, it's not by us making everything happen. It's really about us being surrendered to his work so that by his work and by his power and by his filling, where we go, we're not just pointing and being directional signs. We're not settling for a destiny to be another directional sign to go to this church or go to that church or go to this tent meeting or go to this youth revival, but we can stand before people and say, see Jesus now in me, that we would embrace our call and destiny to be light and shine right there. Yeah. 
There is an important value that we come and that we gather together and that we open up this word and we worship together. And the scripture specifically instructs that we are not to do away with or we are not to forsake the gathering together to worship. But there will not, before anybody sets foot in City of Lights, they should be able to experience the light of God in the city in your life. And being a light isn't about having everything together. It's not about being a perfect people. Being a light is about being a hungry and a humble and a a surrendered and a grateful people who aren't ashamed and afraid to make Jesus known even while they're being made new. That's what it means to be light. That when people see our light, there ought to be a contrast. That's why I'm saying do things without grumbling and complaining. Everybody can grumble and complain. It doesn't take Holy Ghost power to just walk around defeated as everybody else. It doesn't take the resurrection power of Jesus to just walk around in bitterness, to complain about the government, to complain about your mama, your dad, or your cousin, or your roommate, and to walk around just spewing the same garbage that the darkness does. The darkness doesn't need any more distributors, friend. But what the world needs are the people who have the light of Christ in them to let it shine. It's amazing how the most elementary of songs in all of church, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Man, we sang it when we were three. Can we sing it when we're 33? Can we live it? Can we walk it out? That's what we're called to. And we will never be a city of lights without becoming a people of light. And we will never be a people of light unless the work of Christ is at work in us. In Revelations, it tells us there will be a time, there will come a day when we will need no more light from the sun, the moon, or the stars. There will come a day when God will be the only light we need. And what would now look like if we all woke up to the fact that we don't have to wait to revelation. We don't have to wait just hoping we don't mess things up till Christ returns. But he's actually called us not to chase after heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. If you want to be what God's called you to be, if you want to walk in the fullness of this legacy of light that is so bright and is worth as Paul said, that my life would be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith. See, a drink offering is a reference to the Old Testament times where they would pour out water, or usually it was wine, a strong drink, over the offering that was presented to God. And it was a, a beautiful picture of literally life and recognizing and remembering lives that have been poured out for the sake of this, this sacrifice. Even as Christ's life was poured out 
for us. If we want to be a part of that, we can only be who God's called us to be if we will surrender and allow God to do what only he can do. God has a great plan for you, but it's bigger than you. And if you're going to make it, you got to grab a hold of this calling and this purpose. I know that there's some of you right here this morning that you actually have not given your life to the Lord. You have not fully surrendered your life to the Lord. You maybe grew up in church, maybe had a church experience. And you know enough that there's this thing on the inside of you that you just can't shake, that you know that you are meant for more than what you're walking in now. There's been such a sense in you from early on that, that there was, you just had this sense that, man, I, I know I'm made to make an impact. I, I know that I, I might not have come from much or regardless of what you had and your parents had in the bank account, that there's always been that innate sense that I was, I was here for something bigger than just me. And the reason that you sense that is because it's true. And this morning, the Holy Spirit wants you to understand not only what it is that you've been called to, but he wants you to fully realize it. If you are here today and you're like, you know what? I'm tired of just seeing this light from a distance. I'm tired of just hearing about this God from a distance. I want him to be at work in me. I want to give my life to Jesus. We want that to happen for you. I want to ask you this morning, if that is you, at the end of the service, I want to ask you to make a beeline to City Central. We want to connect with you. We don't want to just say a quick prayer. We want to help you take the right steps moving forward to surrender and to know who he is, to know what he wants to do in you. If you're here and you've already surrendered your life, which I know we're probably as many of us in here. I want to encourage you and challenge you to awaken to your calling. Don't settle. It's never too late to surrender. It's never too late to come before him and say, God, I don't want to just be an autopilot. I want everything you got. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to miss out. If there's more to this thing, I want to get everything that you have because I want to be all that you've called me not to do but be. If that's you, I want to pray for you right now. Can we all stand to our feet? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. You are great and greatly to be praised. There's none like you. Lord, I'm so encouraged this morning and, and grateful that this walk of faith and this race that we're in, this fight of faith that you have welcomed us to be a part of, Lord, you are so secure 
and you are so loving and you're so empowering that you haven't just called us to sit on the sidelines, but you've actually said, I've come to abide in you. Your Holy Spirit was sent. Holy Spirit was sent as a helper to empower us and to fill us and to make us new and to work in us and not just work in us, but work through us. Lord, I pray that even now that there would be a holy hunger, a holy hunger, hunger pains in our soul, Lord, that are not satisfied by living and coasting in this life, but we hunger to be set ablaze by you. God, I'm asking that you would help us to hear the cries of the city, to hear the cries of people who are wandering in the darkness, who are continually banging against obstacle and obstacle and obstacle and waiting for somebody who would shine. Let us be that people. But I recognize it begins by surrender. If you're here this morning and say, I want everything he has for me. I want him to use me however he, wants me to, however he wants to use me. I want him to light me up and I want to fully surrender to him. Just lift your hands right now. All over this place. God, I want, I want you to use me to the fullest. Lord, we lift our hands as an act of surrender, Lord. Say, Lord, have your way in us. Use us. Fill us. Lord, I know that you have a plan, a specific, strategic a customized plan for each and every area of our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't settle for just some generic workout plan, but Lord, you would do your specific work in us. Help us to grow in maturity. Help us to, to forgive those who we have held unforgiveness towards. Lord, help us to surrender in the areas that we need to surrender, Lord. Help us to say no to the things that you say no to and yes to the things you say yes. You've called us to say yes to, but more than anything, Lord, help us to say yes to you honor you this morning, our heavenly Father, our gracious King, the Father of lights, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise this morning. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget... You can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.